Good morning, everyone. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And you may have noticed that most of the Jacobson family is here, but not all of them. Dave and Bree, right now, this very moment, I believe, are on a plane to Florida. I know you feel great pity for them. I made sure before Dave left the office to let him know uh, exactly how much pity we felt for him going to Florida in February. But that should be a good time for him to, to kind of be poured into a time of uh, accountability, um, maybe some dethawing and, and recharging. And so we're thankful for a church body that uh, lets us do things like that, where he doesn't have to come back and, and get 100 angry emails about where he was or something like that. Personally, I think there should be an associate pastor retreat somewhere like Hawaii or uh, even Bora Bora, maybe. So if anyone wants to start, start one like that, um, I would be fully supportive of that. I am going to a conference in a couple weeks, but it's in Indiana, where they just had like 12 inches of snow. So between me and Dave, you know which one of us is, is the wiser of the two, based on our destinations. This morning, we'll be con- continuing our series in Acts, we're titled Unstoppable, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pick off right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're going to go to the end of the chapter. And this morning's message I entitled, The Hound of Heaven. Last week, Dave introduced us to uh, a person, Philip, who who went to Samaria after he experienced prosecution in Jerusalem. He had an encounter. One of the, the people he ministered to was Simon the Magician. We had that whole uh, debacle with him. And now we're uh, continuing to follow kind of Philip's exploits in our passage this morning. He's moving back south now. He's like, okay, you just left Jerusalem. Now he's going to go south even uh, past Jerusalem for a very specific purpose at the guidance of the angel of the Lord, who has a very specific purpose for him. The overall structure this morning is going to be two acts in acts. I could have called it two works, and then I couldn't have said two acts in acts. So we got two acts this morning. The first act is this, that the God is bringing... Um, Others to salvation, drawing him, drawing others to him, and allows us to participate in that. And ultimately, um, the the individual needs to respond to that. And the second act is is that as we come to Christ, we testify about what He's done in our lives through baptism. So, because of how long our passage is this morning, I'm going to read it in two different chunks. But before we do that, let's just pray and ask the Lord for His help this morning. Father, thank you for uh, just this morning we have the opportunity to gather together. We can uh, sit under your word. We have access to your scriptures. And I pray even now, um, just like you, you drew us to you when we were saved. Continue to, to, to draw and soften our hearts to you and make us more like your son. Give us the humility to, to listen and to focus. Give me um, just wisdom and, and, and be with me this morning as I, as I try to preach your word. I take great comfort in knowing ultimately it doesn't have anything to do with me and it's you and your power and your word that's going to go out and work and change hearts and change lives. And we pray that you would do that this morning. 
In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Hopefully you have found your way there by now. I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, he, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, as far as we know, Philip was still in Samaria when the angel of the Lord came to him and gave him this direction, say, hey, go uh, to this road. And I want to um, show us kind of a map of of the geography so we could kind of wrap our head around Philip's journey here. You can see in the, the um, uh, kind of middle right there is Jerusalem where he all started. After the persecution, he goes up to Samaria, that town in the top right. That's when the angel of the Lord comes, says, hey, I want you to go to this road between Jerusalem and Gaza. I was like, okay, I was uh, just there, but that's fine. And so Philip has to go back down to Jerusalem and then take this road to Gaza uh, in the south uh, uh, left here, southwest there. And then in the middle, kind of left of the screen, at the very end of the passage, uh, Philip will find himself in that last town called Azotus or Azotus, however you want to say it. The, uh, once he gets to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza, that's when Kind of the point of Philip's journey becomes evident. The angel of the Lord talks to him again and he says, go talk to this Ethiopian man. And we know ultimately the purpose of this whole thing was so that this Ethiopian man would accept Christ, could hear the gospel. And that brings us to our first act, is that God is working with us. God works with us to bring others to salvation. God works with us to bring others to salvation. Now, don't be confused. It's not like God needs a little bit of help, right? He could do it on his own. He has done it on his own. He didn't need anyone's help when he brought Abraham to faith. But he allows us to participate in this work. We get to share the gospel with others. And God still is drawing others, softening hearts, basically all the hard parts, right? Doing the work in people's lives, and in their hearts to change them, to be ready to accept the gospel. God is still doing all of these things and did this in the Ethiopian man's life. So how do you do that? 
How did, how did God work in his life to accept Christ? Well, there's the obvious part. He sent his angel to the Lord to, to go get Philip and go on this uh, long journey. But there's also whatever happened before that. And we don't know specifically what that is. We just consider where this uh, Ethiopian uh, man was at the time. He took this long journey to Jerusalem to worship. He, in his spare time in his chariot, is reading Isaiah. And by the time Philip comes along, he's practically begging him to, to tell him about Jesus, right? And when we're evangelizing, this is the person we want to evangelize to. He's like, he's basically already there. All we need to do is tell him about it. And he's like, he's there. God must have done a work, sent other people in his life to talk to him, to draw him, uh, draw the Ethiopian man to him already at this point. God must draw us to him in order that we would accept Christ. I'm thinking about, and look with me, uh, with me at John chapter 6, verse 44. It'll be up on the screen if you don't want to necessarily turn there, you want to stay in Acts, that would be fine too. I'm going to hop a few different places this morning, and so hopefully all of those will be on the screen if I did it right. So John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. God must draw us to him. Because ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned and, and ate of the fruit, we have been, as in humanity, humankind, starting with them, running away from God, and he has been pursuing us. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 with me. And they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? We, like Adam and Eve, run away from God, run away from his presence, and yet he still pursues us and calls after us. You also see this in Jesus' parables in Luke 15, uh, verses 3 through 10, uh, the parable of the lost coin and of the lost sheep. One of the main points of those parables is that God is leaving the 99 to go pursue the one. He is relentlessly pursuing the lost. I called this sermon The Hound of Heaven, which is kind of a weird title, but it's after a famous poem by an English poet named Francis Thompson. It's a pretty long poem, and it's over 100 years old, so the, the uh, English is a little hard to understand. So I won't read the poem, for you guys this morning, but I'm going to read kind of a good summary by another gentleman named John O'Connor that I think captures the idea of the poem well. It says this, the name is strange. It startles one at first. It's so bold, so new, so fearless. It doesn't attract, but rather the reverse. But when one reads the poem, the strangeness disappears. The meaning is understood. As the hound follows the hare, never ceasing in its running, ever drawing near in the chase with unhurrying and unperturbed pace, so does God follow the fleeing soul by his divine grace. And though in sin or in human love, 
Away from God, it seeks to hide itself. Divine grace follows after. Unwearingly follows ever after. Till the soul feels its pressure, forcing it to turn to him alone in that never-ending pursuit. Non-believing friends in this room this morning know this. God is in a never-ending pursuit of you. I mean, just look at the extent he went to to get this one Ethiopian man saved, right? He, he audibly speaks to Philip and says, hey, go on this journey of over 100 miles. And he, he sends Philip off to another town yet later. But as far as we know, this is the whole point of his journey to this road is to get this one man saved. And again, we don't know what he already did for him. But the point is, this same God has the same zeal that he had for this Ethiopian man to come to the Lord. He has that same zeal for you to know him. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 to 6 with me. It says, who, and it's referring to God our Savior from the, the verse before this, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. God is pursuing you like this man, but you need to accept it. He's softening hearts. He's, he's drawing him to you. He's putting people in your life to share the gospel with you. If you're here this morning, I am sharing the gospel with you but you have to choose to accept it. Jesus died so that you can have eternal life and forgiveness for your sins, but you have to put your faith and trust in him. He's not going to force you to do that. So those are kind of two parts of that salvation work. God must work, God must draw you to him, and you must accept that drawing. Kind of the other part I wanted to talk about in this first act is, is our part in, in sharing that gospel. In this story, we have some themes we've already seen in Acts. I mean, thinking about Stephen, Dave talked about he's just an ordinary guy, right? He didn't, he didn't go to seminary, didn't have any special training, yet God used him in powerful, profound ways to further his kingdom. And now look at Philip. Again, just another regular guy, no special training, anything like that. And yet God has called him for a very specific purpose this morning. He's converting this Ethiopian man who's on his way back to Ethiopia where he can spread the gospel to that nation. And are we encouraged by that? Like when, when we hear uh, in a narrative a regular person being used by God to further his kingdom, are we encouraged by that? Because, by the way, we're regular people, right? Like, are we, as regular people, encouraged when we, we see experienced stories in the Bible of God using regular people for his purposes? God can use and will use, has purposes for us in this kingdom-advancing work. But for us to uh, get in that lane or, or do these types of things, we need to have the same sort of trust that Philip had. I mean, when you think about it, right? If he was trusting in anything else but the word of God, he would not have made this journey, right? He's basically told, 
go walk 100 miles. And even at this point, he's not told why until he gets there. So the angel of the Lord basically tells him, tells him, hey, why don't you just go? And then later he finds out why. So a few examples. What if, what if um, ease and comfort was his authority? As I'm making decisions, uh, if I'm, I'm picking, my authority is whatever gets me the most ease, whatever's easiest, whatever's most comfortable, right? <laughs> well, if, if, this, if God tells you to do this, I, you could stay here or you could, you could go on this multi-day journey to this road. I'm going to be like, hard pass, Jesus. Like, that sounds uh, difficult. No thanks. What if money was his authority, right? Again, several-day-long journey. There's no PTO in, in the ancient Near East. Uh, several days of lost income. No thanks, Jesus. Like, I'm on a budget. It's going to mess the whole thing up. <laughs> what about if he's, he's depending on his own reasoning, his own understanding, I had a hard time thinking of something more pointless to kind of uh, equate it to. It was seemingly pointless, right? We know there, there was a point. I had, a tr- I had a trouble figuring out something as seemingly pointless to, to figure out, like, to tell you guys to do as an equivalent, right? Hey, why don't you go visit that road? It'll take you several days even just to get there, and then it's another 50 miles along this road. Hey, why don't you just go visit that road? Like, pick up your life and go do that. It's like, okay, uh, I don't, let's... Let's do that. I didn't, I didn't have anything going on for the next couple, couple weeks or whatever, right? It'd be like if I told you this morning, hey, why don't you take the road from like San Francisco to Orlando, except you could still probably do it quicker because you have an automobile, right? <laughs> and not tell you why. If I told you that, you would be like, Haha, yeah, right. Like, why would I do that? What, how could that possibly help? So instead of letting... His ease and comfort, instead of letting money, instead of letting his own understanding be his authority, he trusted in the word of God, and he went. So the question for us this morning, again, we want the, to let the narrative challenge us, is, is what is my authority? When I'm making decisions, what is the thing that's guiding that decision? Is it what of my options here is going to please the Lord the most, or is it what's going to give me the most security, what makes the most sense to me, what will make me feel the best. And now God's probably not going to send the angel of the Lord to talk to us. I mean, he might. I'm not going to take that uh, option out by any means. But we have it in this form now, right? And the question is, are we going to obey that or one of the other options? What is the authority in your life as you're making these sorts of decisions? And are you open to God's calling in your life, even if it may seem radical or if it doesn't make sense? So I'm not saying all of us this morning are being called to uh, pick up our lives and become missionaries in sub-Saharan Africa to the, the, tr- the unreached tribes there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm saying, uh, is... God could be calling you to something, a, a ministry or, or a specific calling through his word and through his Holy Spirit in you. And are you open to that calling? Even if it kind of disrupts or uproots the life you currently live, or is there things about the place God has you now that you're saying, I can't, I won't give that up. So are you open to that leading? To continue our story, so 
Philip has made it to the road. He sees the uh, Ethiopian man in his chariot, and the angel of the Lord speaks to him again and says, Philip, go talk to this uh, man. So he goes up to this very powerful, very rich, um, very foreign man and says, do you understand what you're reading? And again, the, the Lord has worked enough in the Ethiopian's life where he's, he, he doesn't respond by saying, get away from me, you, you peasant, right? I'm the, the CFO of Ethiopia. No, he says, I don't know what I'm reading. Like, come tell me. And Philip responds by uh, not intimidation of, uh, now I'm getting in the stranger's chariot, but he just gets up there with him and says, all right, let's do this. And we're um, told in the passage, I'm looking at um, verse 32 and 33 now. We're told in the passage, he's studying Isaiah, and this is Isaiah 53, verses seven through eight. I'm not gonna read it for you because it's the exact same as verse 32 and 33. And the, the Ethiopian, and by the way, I really, really wish they had named the Ethiopian, because I'm, I'm referring to him over and over again this morning, and I have nothing to say about him except he's Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. And I don't really want to say eunuch over and over again. So I'm, Ethiopian's not easy to say, but I find myself saying that. So I, part of me just wants to be like, let's call him Fred this morning. I'm not going to do that. But that, that was my temptation as I was getting ready. So the, the Ethiopian man, which we'll continue to call him that, asks a great question. He asks, is the prophet Isaiah writing about himself when he writes this, or is he writing about someone else? And Philip takes this opportunity to say, no, no, Isaiah isn't writing about himself. He's writing about Jesus and kind of uses that as his springboard to share the whole gospel with him. So not only does, does Philip trust in the Lord and his word enough to say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go to this road. There must, you must have something for me here, Father. <laughs> Only does he trust him enough to uh, say, okay, I'll, I'll talk to this guy, but he's given the boldness and the confidence to, to go jump into this stranger's chariot and to share the gospel with him. And not only that, but he has the knowledge of scripture, of, of the Old Testament, to know how to share the gospel with someone starting from this passage in Isaiah. And he knows it well enough that he knows the answer to his question. Yes, this passage, in, in case you don't know, this passage in Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. And again, let's, let's let Philip's example challenge us. Do I know the Bible well enough that I could do the same thing? Do I know the Bible well enough that if some random person asked me a question about some passage in Isaiah, is this talking about Jesus, that I could tell him, yes, it is about Jesus. And yes, let me tell you about Jesus in these other passages. We talk a lot at City on a Hill about the importance of spiritual disciplines, like reading your Bible and praying every day. And the reason we do that is because it's so foundational to every part of kind of the Christian life and the Christian walk. And this is no exception, right? You can't share something you don't already know yourself. You can't talk about it with someone if you don't know it yourself. You can't minister yourself with God's word if you don't know God's word. 
I'm not saying that to shame us and to say we all need to, to know our Bibles better or something like that, but to say let, 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 us, let this motivate us to know our Bibles better. We get to, we can participate in, in this sort of work because we know our Bibles this way. The flip side of that is if we are a believer in this room this morning, you have everything you need to share with others. You understood the gospel well enough to accept it yourself. And you have a testimony of, again, God's working in your life to to bring you to him that you can share with others. We all have something we can share. The question is, am I sharing it with others? Am I sharing that with others? Am I praying for opportunities to share the gospel, to to see those opportunities, and for the boldness to take those opportunities like Philip? I feel like a lot of times we stop at, Lord, give me opportunities. And I think that's a good prayer. Don't hear me say that's that's a bad prayer. But I I think a lot of us have opportunities to share the gospel with. We know unbelieving friends or coworkers or family members. God has put these people in our lives. And we're really what we need more of is eyes to see those opportunities and the boldness to take those opportunities. So again, do you pray for these sorts of things? Are you looking to share the gospel? Or is it one of those things where it's like, I know I should be doing this, but it's, you know, it's, there's excuses. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of, and we just never get around to it. That's kind of the, the first chunk, our first act this morning. We, we get to participate in this kingdom work by sharing the gospel, and God is working in the hearts of others to soften and draw them to him. Ultimately, that person needs to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. No one's going to force them. The second kind of chunk or act in Acts this morning is this. As we come to Christ, we testify about our salvation through baptism. As we come to Christ, we testify about our salvation through baptism. Let's see it in the text, and then I'm actually going to give you kind of break it down into three qualities of baptism. It certainly isn't the only passage that informs um, why we do baptism the way we do here at City on a Hill, but it is one of them that gives us kind of clues as to what baptism should look like. So again, back in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So again, I said we'd kind of break it down into three kind of qualities of baptism. The first quality is going to be the accessibility of baptism. The accessibility of baptism. In verse 36, the Ethiopian man asks, what prevents me from being baptized? 
And while Ethiopian eunuch doesn't mean much to us now, at the time, those two things would have meant that he, even though he went to Jerusalem to worship the one true God, he would have been on the very fringes of Jewish kind of Israelite society. First, because he wasn't a Jew, he was an Ethiopian. Now, they, they didn't have the same quite uh, history or, or um, baggage with, with race that we have had and experienced in this country, um, in Israel and in the ancient Near East, that was sort of race-driven. But there was plenty of, of kind of pride, superiority, angst, animosity between nations at the time. It wasn't like 2,000 years ago, everybody suddenly got along and it was a, a happy-go-lucky time. In addition to that, Israel was God's chosen nation, right? Ever, again, ever since the time of Abraham, the whole world was supposed to be blessed through Abraham's descendants. They were supposed to be wholly set apart, a priesthood mediating for, uh, between God and the rest of the world. And God's special manifest presence was supposed to be there with Israel specifically, which was not only a religion, but a people group and a nation. And here's someone from Ethiopia. He's not one of the God's special chosen people. He's not uh, an, an Israelite. He's not one of the 12, from one of the 12 tribes that God chose. Second fact was he was a eunuch. And in, the, in that time, in this part of the world, if you served in any sort of close capacity with the queen, you can bet that you were made into a eunuch for very pragmatic reasons. But for Jews, they commonly interpreted Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, to say that if you were a eunuch, you could not be in the assembly. You couldn't be in God's assembly. We don't have a time to unpack why that is this morning. Like why, would, why would they make that a rule other than to say, it has to do with what we were just talking about of, of God's manifest holy presence being with them in the temple and the tabernacle and being in the, the vicinity of God's holiness required spe special rules of, of cleanliness and um, wholeness. It might be helpful even to think about it of, of um, lack of blemishes or malformity were required. And so the closest this guy probably ever could get was the, the kind of the court of Gentiles was farthest uh, kind of way part of the temple that you could get. So with kind of keeping all those, those two things in our mind, let's think about how, how would he have heard the gospel presentation, right? He's, he's being told, despite being a foreigner, despite being a eunuch, and despite being told repeatedly, like, you will never be able to be a part of this. He's now being told that you can be a full-fledged Christian. There's going to be no difference from you and anyone else, a full follower of Jesus Christ. You're able to join in with the other believers. And this is sort of wrapped into his question in verse 37 when he asks, what prevents me from being baptized? 
when I was prevented from so long from joining in, in God's assembly? And finally, the answer is nothing. You see, because baptism, like the gospel, is for all people, from the last to the first, the least to the great, from the poor to the rich. You don't need to be a certain color. You don't need to be uh, smart or rich or talented or live up to a certain standard or have a certain amount of money or live in a certain place or be from a certain country. Any sort of reason you could possibly think of that divides people in this day and age, none of that matters when it comes to the gospel and baptism. Anyone can be baptized if they choose to believe in Jesus Christ in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's totally accessible. So when I'm talking about the accessibility of baptism, I'm saying that anyone can be baptized and nothing should prevent you from doing that. Nothing should prevent you from coming to Christ. That kind of leads us to not just that you can be baptized, but that you should be baptized. That's our second kind of property of of baptism, the requirement for baptism. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, know that he has kind of commanded us to be baptized. It's part of what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not just the 12 disciples, but all disciples of Jesus Christ until the end of the age. Not just to make disciples, but to be baptized and to teach them everything he commanded them. Again, look at the, the eunuch in verse 36 in this story, the urgency at which, with which he approached baptism. It wasn't like, um, which is uh, kind of, I, f- I feel like the trap we fall into a lot of, yeah, maybe someday I'll do this. But he, he hears the gospel, he accepts it. And then as soon as there's a, a body of water large enough, he stops chasing and says, why can't we do this right now? He wasted no time. And some of us here this morning are, are kind of in that other boat of, of maybe uh, we are believers, maybe we have been believers for a long time, and have not yet been baptized. And so part of what I want to do this morning is challenge you, if you haven't been baptized, like, let's do it. Let's get baptized. And a uh, kind of question to ask yourself is be, okay, what is holding me back from being baptized? If that's me, if I am a believer of Jesus Christ, what is preventing me from being baptized? I think there's a lot of things that could, it could be, Right? It's, it's awkward to like get up in front of this whole uh, congregation. Believe me, I, I know. It's awkward to get up in front of the whole congregation. It's, it's awkward if I've, I've been a believer for a long time and, and to just now get baptized, like maybe feelings of embarrassment. Whatever the reason is, I would just encourage us to, to want, again, what's, what's our authority? To want to please Jesus and to follow his commands more than we don't want to be embarrassed or more than we don't want to be in front of people or more than whatever that thing is holding us back. So if you're, you're here this morning and you said like, yes, I see what you mean. I see the Unix example of just boom, getting baptized. I'd like to do that. When can we do that? 
Well, we wanted to fill up the baptismal and like kind of call people up. Um, but between Dave being gone and we're going to do communion after this, it just really wasn't working. So uh, maybe another time. But for this morning, if that's, that's you, let us know so we can uh, work on making that happen as soon as possible. So um, this morning, that means... You can go to the website, you can go to the Church Center app, you can go to cityonahill.today, and at the very bottom, there's a, a button for baptism, and you can fill out that form. And I promise we will uh, make that happen as soon as possible. But if you're, you're still like, eh, like, yeah, I kind of see my need for it, but I'm not really sure about my situation, well, you're welcome to fill out the form, and, and either Dave or I will, can, can talk you through that. Um, but I'd also say you could uh, talk to your small group leader, talk to someone else here this morning. Like Dave and I don't have the, the corner of the market on truth about baptism, right? You can, you can talk with other folks, talk with your small group about your kind of concerns and, and where you're at too. But if we take any, anything away from kind of this section or this quality, it's that we should follow the Ethiopian eunuch's example and that we shouldn't delay this kind of next step after becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is being baptized. And the reason that's so important, the reason Jesus commands it for us, is because of the third quality, which is the significance of baptism. The significance of baptism. In other words, this is the why we do what we do of baptism. There's a lot of churches around that do baptism differently for different people, but here, and probably many of you have been here when we did baptism, we baptize believers, and we do it by uh, fully um, um, dunking the person, I guess is the, the, the uh, simple way to say it. The fancy way to say it is immerse, immersion, excuse me. Um, and we do it because of the, significant of ba- the significance of baptism, what baptism is supposed to be a, a symbol of. And we get that symbol from Romans 6, uh, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the the kind of first part of that is um, in verse, uh, going back to Acts 8, looking at verse 38 and 39, it says that both uh, the eunuch and Philip went into the water and came out of the water, which makes it seem like there's quite a bit of water involved. Now, it doesn't explicitly say, like, he got, they dunked the eunuch and then Philip left, but it seems like more happened than, than just kind of a sprinkling or a cupping of water that we see kind of other places. So that's one piece. The other piece is this kind of symbolism from Romans 6.4, right? When we, when we dunk you into the water, it's symbolizing what's happened in your life, that you've, you've uh, died with Christ in his death. There, you've died to your flesh. You've died to your old self. And then as we take you out of the water, right, it's a symbol of the new life you have in Christ. And some people, <clears throat> I've only done baptism here once, but... Um, I did it a couple times at our, our old church, and every time I did baptism without fail, there's always one person that was like, you're going to get me out, right? Like, you're not going to leave me there. I'm like, don't worry, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get you out. You're not, like, no one here is so heavy that it's like, I just leave you there. 
But that's what we're, we're trying to symbolize when we do baptism, right? Is the, the dying with Christ and being raised to newness of life. So again, that's why we baptize believers. And that's why we do it by this sort of uh, ritual of immersion. And, and even the way we immerse people is to, to be as faithful as possible, as, po- as we possibly can be to the biblical data we have on baptism. So that um, almost brings us to the end of the uh, chapter. There's like one, one and a half verses left. And I just want to make this quick note about it because it's a little odd, we'll say. So looking at kind of the last two verses here, they came out of the water and then it says, Philip was gone and the eunuch never saw him again or saw him no more. And then it says, Philip found himself almost 20 miles up the coast at this other town called Azotus. And again, if, you, if you've never heard this before, that's, that's a kind of a weird story, right? Like, like what is going on here? And even though we can't be sure about the specific reason why God did, did this, I believe what's happening here is kind of the second example in Scripture of a miraculous transportation, right? The first being Elijah in the Old Testament also seems to have been moved from a, a different location, like teleportation. I'm, I'm trying to think of, of uh, like a, a show that shows teleportation. It's like Star Trek or, or something like that. The nerdiness is, is coming out of me. Um, <clears throat> but the point is this. The whole, the whole story is kind of sandwiched between uh, this truth of this reality that, again, God is doing whatever it takes to pursue these people God is doing whatever it takes to get um, the Ethiopian eunuch to hear the gospel and to pursue him. So much so that he needs Philip in this other town, Pronto, that he teleports them over there. And so the, the, the takeaway for us is this. We, if we only take away one thing from this morning's message, it's this, that God is pursuing us. He cares not just about us in, in general and many of us, but each of our individual lives, God is there pursuing us. He has pursued us. He has been working in our heart and is still doing that to this day. And then we can go, when we, when we are sharing the gospel, we can, we can go in confidence knowing that it's not really on me, right? God is the one who's going to work and change hearts. And I am just called to faithfulness in the midst of that. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we're, we're thankful for um, your word to us. We're thankful that the gospel and, and the spreading of your kingdom does not depend on us because I've so often fallen short, so often um, chosen not to share when I have opportunities, chosen not to pursue those things, chosen not to make it a priority. Pray, Father, that you would give us opportunities to share the gospel. Give us opportunities to see that. Give us boldness to take those opportunities. Pray especially this morning that you would just work in our hearts to help us see and go from here more thankful for what you did for us when we came to salvation. It was while we were yet sinners, while we yet run, ran from you, you pursued us and you called us to you and you were softening our hearts and you were drawing us to you. 
That's something <laughs> we couldn't possibly have done without you. So I pray, Father, this morning, again, that we would see that and just grow in thankfulness to do in you, grow in love for you, and in doing so, that you would be glorified. We pray all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.